Here we go. <clears throat> Welcome back to Finding New Films. Uh, the microphones work this time. They're actually working. Wow. Who can imagine if you do a little bit of troubleshooting, you could actually make something work. Uh, anyways, my name is uh, Hunter Harris. I'm the host of Finding New Films. Uh, episode 17. I'm here with Chris. Hey, guys. And Chris has never been on the podcast, but we're changing that now because we like watching movies together. We figured, why, why are you not on the podcast? Exactly. So, yeah. Thank you for having me. No problem. It's fun to have another person to watch movies with. I will always love finding new people to watch movies with. It's a fun thing to share with another person. A love for art. Um, anyway, this week uh, was my pick. I picked Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Uh, and this movie was pretty crazy. Yeah, it was, uh, it was an experience. I, I, I hate to have so uh, basic adjectives, but I kind of am just jarred by the whole experience. Um, I just watched it three, four hours ago, so it's still pretty fresh in my head. I I was not high and felt like I was tripping. Yeah, it, um, it, uh, it gets that feeling. <laughs> it definitely exacerbates that feeling. Really interesting feeling. Never thought I could uh, feel like I was on acid with how it actually putting acid in my mouth. Never even taken acid. Yeah. You know? But uh, what what were your thoughts coming into this movie? So going in, so I've heard a lot about Fear and Loathing before the book, the movie. I knew a little bit about like, all right, so it's Johnny Depp, it's Tobey Maguire, it's Benicio. Um, I knew it was about drugs, so I, I kind of expected some trip sequences, but I thought it would be more tri- like drama-oriented with those names attached, because that's just kind of what I assumed with that. Right. But it was definitely a lot more about the filmmaking itself that kind of like evoked those feelings that you got from it. And it's so I kind of knew a little bit about it. It's been on my radar for a while, but... It was not what I expected right. once I watched it. Yeah, I, I, I knew it was psychedelic. I knew it was like out of the outside the box. I didn't realize it was so art house. Yeah. I guess I should have. I don't know. I feel like maybe I should have, but at the same time, like this movie also lends itself to be like really. It could have just been a gimmick very easily. Oh yeah. Um. Where it, 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 you could have just very easily... Because this is Universal making this film. Yeah. So, I mean, it had no business being as artistic as it ends right. up being. Right. Um, I mean, in the hands of a lesser director, it could have just been Cheech and Chong or something. I Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, I mean, his, <laughs> his name is Gonzo. It's not yeah. really that far off. Cheech and Chong do hard drugs. So funny. I think it's hilarious that they named one of the characters after the form of journalism that he does. Yeah. That's that was pretty interesting to me. And they also name dropped him in the movie. Did you notice that? When they were like, Oh, you got a telegram, sir and they were like, Uh, does Thompson ring a oh, bell? Oh yeah. Yeah. I thought that was pretty sweet. 
Way to drop. Way to name drop. He was definitely... I remember he was still alive when this movie came out, and they were heavily consulting him on uh, this movie. Yeah, I can was, imagine. Yeah. We'll get into all the performances later. I was going to say something about Johnny Depp's performance, but we'll get into that a little bit later on. Um, and yeah, I think I'm going to go ahead and get into the credits now. I think, you know, I've talked enough. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so... So, yeah, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas was released in 1998. Uh, the runtime of eight, 118 minutes, right under two hours. Really smooth runtime. Mm-hmm. Uh, author of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas was Hunter S. Thompson. The writers of the film were Terry Gilliam, uh, Tony Crisoni, which is the <laughs> most fake sounding name. That I've ever heard. He I'm must like, be from New Jersey. This is so funny though, because it's Terry Gilliam, Tony Grizzoni, Todd Davies, and Alex Cox. Like I don't, you could not have. It's I, it's it, it's giving NBA 2K creative player. Yeah. Um, it's the funniest shit in the world. Tony Grizzoni. <clears throat> I hope his name is Anthony Grizzoni, and he yeah. just goes by Tony, and he thinks it's funny. Pairs up for Tony Grissoni. Uh, Directed by Terry Gilliam solely, he decided to direct the movie by himself, but he wanted to (laughs) share the writing credits with three of his buds. Uh, The score was pretty well done by Ray Cooper. Uh, Camera was done by Nicola Pecorini, um, who was a cinematographer, not a director of photography. I wanted to start making that distinction because they are very different things, so... Market number one. This is the first time of me doing that. Nicola Pecorini, cinematographer on this. Um, so the sole, basically, if I don't, I, if I'm being derogative, don't excuse me, but cinematographer being a sole camera operator, a director of photography being someone who is directing multiple camera operators to direct multiple different cameras. If you didn't know. I don't want to sit here and act like I'm on a high horse. <laughs> Not and people are like, "What does that even mean?" But uh, yeah, cinematographer in this one, Nicola Pecorini. Uh, stars of the film: Johnny Depp, Benicio del Toro, Tobey Maguire, Christina Ricci, and Cameron Diaz. Those are the people that just stood out to me. Yeah. So I'm gonna read the plot. I'm trying to do this quickly. We've been here for eight minutes, but I'm gonna do this as quick as I can. Okie dokie. <clears throat> In 1971, Raul Duke and Dr. Gonzo speed across the Nevada desert. Duke, under the influence of mescaline, complains of a swarm of giant bats and inventories their drug stash. They pick up a young hitchhiker and explain their mission. Duke has been assigned by the magazine, uh, by a magazine, to cover the Mint 400 motorcycle race in Las Vegas. They bought excessive drugs for the trip and rented a red Chevrolet Impala convertible. The hitchhiker flees on foot at their behavior. Uh, trying to reach Vegas before the hitchhiker can go to the police, Gonzo gives Duke part of a sheet of sunshine acid, then informs him that there's little chance of making it before the drug kicks in. By the time they reach the strip, Doug is in full throes of his trip and barely makes it through the hotel checking in, hallucinating that the clerk is a moray eel and <laughs> that his fellow bar patrons are uh, orgiastic lizards. Uh, the next day, Duke arrives at the race and heads out with his photographer, Lacerda. Duke 
becomes irrational and believes that they are in the middle of a battlefield, so he fires Lacerda and returns to the hotel after consuming more mescaline after a, as well as huffing Daffle Aether. Um, Duke and Gonzo arrive at the Bazooka Circus Casino, but leave shortly afterwards in a chaotic atmosphere frightening Gonzo. Back in the hotel room, Duke leaves Gonzo unattended and tries his luck at Big Six. When Duke returns, he finds that Gonzo, high on LSD, has trashed the room and is in the bathtub, clothed, attempting to pull the tape player with his <laughs> in with him as he wants to hear the song better. As he pleads with Duke to throw the machine in the water when the song hit White Rabbit peaks, Duke agrees, but instead throws a grapefruit in Gonzo's <laughs> face before running outside and locking Gonzo in the bathroom. Duke attempts to type his reminiscence on hippie culture and flashes back to San Francisco where a hippie lick spilled LSD off of his sleeve. The next morning, Duke awakens on an exorbitant room service bill and no sign of Gonzo, who has returned to Los Angeles while Duke has slept, and attempts to leave him uh, attempts to leave town. As he nears Baker, California, a patrolman stops him for speeding and advises him to leave speed sorry, whoa, let's start back on that last sentence. Uh, Duke instead heads... Wait, now I'm all messed up. <laughs> Hold on. Okay. The next morning, Duke awakens in an exorbitant room service bill and no sign of Gonzo, who has returned to Los Angeles while Duke slept, and attempts to leave town. As he nears Baker, California, a patrolman stops him for speeding and advises him to sleep at a nearby rest stop. Duke instead heads at a, to a payphone and calls Gonzo, learning that he has a suite in his name at the Flamingo Hotel in Las Vegas so he can cover a district attorney's convention on narcotics. <laughs> uh, Duke checks into his suite only to be met by an LSD-tripping Gonzo and a young girl called Lucy, who Gonzo explains has come to Las Vegas to meet Barbara Streisand, and that was her first LSD trip. Duke convinces Gonzo to ditch Lucy in another hotel before her trip wears off. Gonzo accompanies Duke to the convention, and the pair discreetly snort cocaine as the guest speaker delivers a comically out-of-touch speech about marijuana addicts before showing a brief film. Unable to take it, Duke and Gonzo flee back to their room, only to discover that Lucy is called. Their trip mostly over... Gonzo deals with Lucy over the phone, pretending that he is being beaten savagely by thugs as Duke attempts to mellow out by trying Gonzo's stash of <laughs> adrenochrome. Uh, however, the trip spirals out of control and Duke is reduced to an incoherent mess as he blacks out. Uh, after an unspecified amount of time passes, Duke wakes up to a complete ruin of the once pristine suite. After discovering his tape recorder, he attempts to remember what happened as he listens to brief memories of the general mayhem that has taken place, including Gonzo threatening a waitress at a diner, himself convincing a distraught cleaning woman that they are police officers in investigating a drug ring and attempting to buy an orangutan. Duke drops Gonzo off at the airport, driving up to the airplane, a ride up to the airplane before returning up uh, to the hotel one last time to finish his article, then speeds back to Los Angeles. And that was Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas in about five minutes. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, that that is probably like the only plot synopsis I've read on this show uh, that is actually ever kind of encapsulated how chaotic or like kind of the yeah. spirit of the movie. Uh, I've never read one that is, uh, has captured it that well, but that was, that was really well done. Yeah. It's a hard movie to, like, capture in words, really. 
it is definitely like a full audio visual visual experience for sure that definitely definitely does like a skeleton um kind of explanation of the movie i mean like most synopsis will, but yeah to really experience this movie you you definitely have to see it and see the the distortions all of the the crooked camera angles everything um but yeah we're gonna get into our thoughts now um we've got i think 15 minutes left on the timer 16 so for the next 16 minutes we're going to talk about our thoughts we're going to hit a break after that and then we'll come back with more thoughts and yada yada you know the show anyway so from the very start the whole directing is just completely erratic yeah i think the opening shot is kind of like a dutch angle yeah um on the car it's um raul duke talking um while he's looking uh he's tripping and he's seeing bats around him right mm-hmm. With Gonzo in the passenger yes. seat as they're going down the highway. Yeah, they're speeding down yeah. the highway. Um, and that definitely sets the tone. I think it's it kind of gives like that whole like hectic nature that you're gonna get the rest of the movie. It's not really gonna like let up on the gas pedal. I really enjoy that too about it. It, It's starting with its nature being so hectic and like being so in your face from the very get go, because it really doesn't ever stop throughout the whole movie. So, really love the upfrontness. You get Uh, you get to see uh, Johnny Depp's character's mannerisms in full force. He's he's very twitchy. He's very like almost static too, like like an action figure or (laughs) something. It was really, yeah, he, he did a really good job physically in this movie. You were noting that before we got on here. Um, he, he did really good physically acting in this movie, being a, a really physical actor, and it led to the comedy of the movie, uh, which was mostly dark and, like, ironic. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, very cleverly written, not, you know, deposing of it, mm-hmm. uh, just being, like, physical stuff, but... It's no Beverly Hills Ninja, um, but the, his physical performance definitely lends to the comedy of yeah. the movie, and it makes it better, in my opinion. I don't know if the movie would work nearly as well without the comedic, um, like tones inside, like the performances and just some of the situations they get themselves in, because it's pretty depressing otherwise. Yeah. It's really dark and. Um, even before that first scene in the car, right. we start out with the thematic tones being introduced with uh, Vietnam uh, protest footage. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's one thing I was going to say, too. I did not know this movie had any war. Me neither. Any yeah. anti-war sentiment I was not expecting that at all. Um, I mean, I knew Hunter Thompson was super anti-war, super anti-police, but like... He lets I, you know I, it. <laughs> yeah, he really, he really made it known in this movie. Uh, you, you get to know his full thoughts on uh, authority and, and everything. Um, Vietnam and hippie culture. That was actually my whole second point. Was had no idea this film had an anti-war. Yeah. <laughs> I think Vietnam, the hippie movement, and just like a lot of things from the '60s is just extremely prevalent. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really well done too. He, he you can. The voiceovers are just Hunter S. Thompson's cadence and everything. I don't know if it's his words, but it's definitely his cadence, and it's done so well. 
If you know who Hunter S. Thompson is going into this movie, it is a movie that you can like. <laughs> if you do not know who that person is, I can see how one could not like this movie. Yeah. If you don't know who that is going into this, I could definitely see you being like, what yeah. the fuck is this? <laughs> but uh, I was actually just reading uh, Hunter S. Thompson's like daily routine to... Um, to, like uh, for the day for a, um, a, like a day in the life biography that was written about him and I think in the in the 90s or something like that it's pretty insane and about as many drugs as they take in this movie yeah it's it was, it was it's it's pretty it's it's so unhinged there's no reason for it he he snorts cocaine at least ten times, like yeah. But only the ninth that. time is when it's serious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After the eighth or ninth time, he's like, "But this time, I'm seriously getting into it." <laughs> I'll I'll read it at the end because it's fucking hilarious. So stick around for that if you want to. I'll read it at the very end. It's it's so funny. Um, okay, so I, my next note here says Johnny Depp sounds dead ringer, just like Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah. Again, if you don't know who that is, go look it up. And then if you've seen this movie or haven't seen this movie, watch the movie or, you know, refer back to when you did. Dead fucking rigor. It's insane. You're not going to be disappointed looking up Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah, you really can't. There's this insane video. I don't know if you've seen this, but there's this insane video of him where he gets into a a lawn dispute. Um, He lived in Colorado at the time. He gets into a lawn dispute. And he's just talking to this camera that he's getting interviewed. And he goes, this motherfucker... One of my sheep wandered into his yard. This motherfucker thinks that he's tough shit. Start, he shoots at me. He said, so I'm not a fucking bitch. And he has a 44 Magnum. And he's just bang, 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 bang. It is, it's so crazy. And it, it, it like... When you see his demeanor in the movie, when you see Johnny's demeanor in the scene where he's like speaking with the cop, I, I've, that's exactly how he acted. Yeah. I mean, to to a T. It, it it was really really interesting to watch, and it's one of Johnny Depp's best performances that I've personally I, ever yeah. seen. No, I would agree with that. From a pure acting standpoint, and I've seen him movies where he's like really, really good. And like, what's eating Gilbert's grape? He's good in that movie, and it's a good movie. But this performance in this movie is incredible. I mean, it's like you said, it's on multiple levels too. Not only like the voice, just like the evocation of Hunter Thompson, but also the physical performance. The way he moves really sells a lot of it. The way he react, I think reactions are a big part of this movie. Um, between Benicio and Johnny Depp, mm-hmm. and the way they just look at each other is, it's it's pretty good. It's it's insane. Yeah. Uh, they they have like a really really good chemistry in this movie, and it's it 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 plays through the whole movie, and I think they as the movie goes on, they their chemistry just bleeds through further and further mm-hmm. with them. And I think those performances kind of have to work, because the movie is them. It's, yeah. It's those two characters, for the most part. For sure. You can tell that they're definitely, like, I don't know. I don't want to do that. I don't want to reject that. I was going to say, you can tell these guys get along. Yeah. You would think that yeah. Charlize Theron and, and Tom Hardy would get along, and they fucking hated each other in Mad Max. So, you know. I mean, I guess, I don't know. Their performance doesn't lend itself to be like, oh, well, yeah, these guys yeah. are friends, but it's 
it they is do a damn good job selling it, if not. Yeah, for real. Um, I, and my next note here says Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I have ever seen a more vile-looking creature than Tobey Maguire in this movie. I was disgusted. It, it is worse. For me personally, it was worse than any of the drug sequences in this movie. It's just seeing his face in this. You know that uh, you know that picture of uh, Matthew McConaughey where he's like smoking the cigarette and he's like insane. Yeah, it's it's the same energy for that a whole like character um, character design that they gave yeah, to yeah. the movie. It, it's like that, that's the whole energy for it, where like that insane like I'm gonna like, <laughs> like, you know I'm gonna fucking I'm gonna do this thing. And I mean they pick him up in the middle of the Mojave. He's like sweating profusely yeah <laughs> with like that golden blonde hair yeah it's just yeah it was an interesting introduction for his character for sure it would it, it definitely was uh kind of takes you out <laughs> yeah <laughs> of of like wait a minute that's toby Maguire. you can really dissociate pretty well with the character and to think like I don't know actually I think it maybe like puts even more of a red herring on him it's like this I, is Toby Maguire yeah especially two like two years later he does Spider Man <laughs> oh I forgot this is before Spider Man this is ninety eight I think Spider Man was like two thousand or two thousand one or something I think it was ninety nine I think was it, it was re- one year so later. it was only a year or two before Spider Man yeah and that's so funny yeah going back to your point like I think knowing that it's Toby Maguire made it even worse. <laughs> Not worse in a bad way. Like, it, yeah. they do it well. It's just, I cannot look at him in that movie. It's the same thing when Cameron Diaz pops up. You're like, what the fuck? Yeah. Oh, it's Cameron Diaz. Yeah, she's in there for like a scene and a half. Yeah. She has no, she has like two yeah. lines. And despite Toby's appearances, like as a hitchhiker, he doesn't, he doesn't say anything weird or anything, you know? Yeah, no. He's like, he's almost like the straight man yeah, in the scenes. Yeah, I was going to say. He was, he was the straight man. And I, I was really interested to see that he was the... I think that was kind of the point, is, like, yeah. Gibbon was like, oh, this guy's about to be weird, and then he's just like, what the fuck is yeah. going on? <laughs> I thought that was really funny. And that's kind of when uh, Raul Duke kind of gives the whole speech, we're on our way to find the American dream. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, that, that whole part was all really, really funny. I thought all the montages were really well done. Yeah. All the dream sequences and stuff like that, and, like, uh, delusions and... Uh, <clears throat> sorry, the delusions and like the what's it called, like the the trip sequences kind of yeah, yeah 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 stuff like that. Um, just all the stuff that was like really really trippy. Yeah, all the drug um, experiences, but uh, they they really make you feel a certain way. Like they try and make you feel like you're in the character shoes. Yeah, and and some of the ways that they distort it with like the like actual like uh, CG like video effect yeah. distortions that actually like was starting to give me yeah <laughs> like it was some, yeah some nausea. I was like all right this is a little too it's uh, too much. yeah might need to pause for a little bit yeah I was like <laughs> recollect myself like blink my eyes a few times yeah and then um, just I mean the way they do it like in general, just to get those feelings. I mean, they throw everything at you. They yeah. use the camera movements. It'll be, like, shaky. It'll be a lot of weird, like, uh, Dutch angles, sideways angles. Um, the way the music, they change the pitch, the yeah. sound. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
They'll use like zoom in, focusing, like right. They do everything to throw you off. They did a really cool um, when Lucy was with them for the second time after she had like come back. Mm-hmm. They did this really cool angle where they had like a vertical. It was like a it was a vertical angle, so it looked sideways yeah. on, on film, and then they like turned it to where it came full horizontal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like a like a half motion. It was pretty cool. I don't know how to explain it. It was right. like a. And then uh, going back to Toby's introduction, it's like you know those Dutch angles are almost trying to make you feel uncomfortable, yeah. right? It's almost like you're looking up at him when he's introduced. Uh, when you see him with his thumb up, yeah, you know, looking for a ride, and it kind of adds to like, oh, this guy's about to be weird. Like he's about to make me uncomfortable. With it. Yeah, <laughs> he was a straight man. Yeah, that 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 really threw me off. I think, um, yeah, I think they're one of the only movies I've ever seen that's used a Dutch angle, and I've been like, that's a good idea. Yeah, most of the times it's like, I'd rather not. <laughs> Thor has got to be the worst example. Like the very first Thor movie. Yeah, it's the worst. Like Yeah. Dutch angles without a purpose, and if you use too many of them, it gets really annoying really quickly. Yeah. And then it didn't, it had no purpose in Thor. Yeah. It was just like, it was, it, it dissociated you from the whole movie. And I, I was just like, why am I even watching this, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then the other big, uh, like, camera technique I feel that's yeah. used is the fisheye lens. Yeah. Almost, like, you're really getting like a like a weird view where like everything in the middle is super close up and then it kind of like moves further away like 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 a fish eye. Yeah. Wonder why they call it that. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's but it really it's like it, 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 the movie is really really well done by Nicola Pecorini and Terry Gilliam. You know, just all of the shots, all of the. Um, I have this note later on, and I can I guess I can just go ahead and say it. Uh, I, I have, like, four notes about cinematography that I can sum up in, like, one note. Yeah. It's basically... Cinematography's awesome. It's... The movement is incredible. I love when a cinematographer can work well on the move. Uh, there's tons of dolly shots, tons of swivel shots, tons of, like, dynamic movement on, like, uh, like little rotors and stuff. Not rotors, but... I don't know what they're called, but, um, you know, dynamic movement. Dynamic movement's really cool. I mean, you can sell it and do it really well. It's awesome. It turns out awesomely here. Color grading of this movie is immense. Yeah. It's insane. It's Uh, great. The pink hotel room, the carousel, the... The clown um, the adre- bar. The adrenochrome scene. Yeah. I mean, really, just like... If you like color grading, you would love this movie. If yeah. you really like just vivid color, even like psychedelic imagery, even, this is your movie. Even just like the yellows and oranges of like the desert. Yeah, I loved it. It's It, it was a super warm movie. I'll always love a warm movie over a cold movie. I yeah. mean... And that'll always be the case, because I think warm movies generally are just always going to make people happier. Yeah. Cold movies are generally what you want to use if you're trying to, like, suck life out of a scene or, like, yeah. you know, and evoke sadness. But, um, so, generally, I think warmer movies are always going to make you either happy or, like, wanting more. Right. Like, 
And it's always going to lend itself to having more vivid color, too. So. I, f- I feel like the camera movement in this movie, it kind of also keeps you engaged more, right? Because, like, uh, a, still, a still frame can, like, not necessarily be boring, like, but it makes you focus on that one scene for a lot longer and right. take up more of your attention. When it's moving, it's like something's happening, you know? Yeah. I definitely agree with that. I wish more films would... Uh... And it was not afraid to go handheld, too. No. I feel like a lot of movies are afraid to go handheld, and they think it's cheap now. I think a lot of directors find it cheap, and it's like... Yeah, I mean, it... Yeah. <laughs> look at Birdman. I mean, it's Exactly. Like, it's not... It, it, when it, it can't be... When it's used correctly, it's not cheap, you know? Mm-hmm. It, call, call Alejandro in a way too cheap, and I will literally fight you. I swear <laughs> to God. Um... And I guess that's where we'll leave off the first part. That's a good part to leave off. So, uh, yeah, don't mess with Alejandro. But um, stick with us through the break real quick. We are going to be right back. I'm going to take a piss. Uh, Yeah, just stick around. Welcome back to Finding New Films. Uh, We are back from our quick break. I peed and uh, filmed a Heineken commercial um, on my way down. Um, I am like on my fifth note, so I'm gonna burn through some of these, honestly. Um, what was that angel with the burning sword? Yeah, yeah, it almost felt like there were some religious undertones also that yeah. he was talking. Cause I don't know if you noticed the scene after it. It looked like somebody almost in like Buddhist robes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, as they were driving the car away. Um, and then obviously later on Lucy's character you know I definitely think obviously the 50s and 60s were kind of like you know you had like satanic panic and everything so I think he was probably making some sort of commentary with that there yeah you're probably right I I, I need to I probably would need to watch it again Mm -hmm. you know first watch you have everything you always are like watching for the plot you're gonna miss some of the background stuff yeah you're gonna miss metaphorical stuff um yeah, that was really funny. I really liked the As Your Attorney yeah. continuation line. Yeah. Uh, I wrote down the first one. As your, as your attorney, I'll advise you to get a car with no top, fast car with no top. And I love that that was like, you. it's never expanded on no. why that's his attorney. Yeah. And he always uses his like, well, uh, per my attorney. Yeah. Uh, At first you're like, is he an attorney? <laughs> quickly you find out he is nowhere close. Um... Vegas hates weed. Oh, that's really weird. Yeah. Um, Especially because hey, I was I was there in the winter. It's yeah, everywhere now. It didn't seem it's like it's legal, it. baby. That's so funny. Um, I liked the subtlety with the um the banner, um when they were coming in on the mint race. Like they could have been like, "Are you all here for the mint race?" Yeah. And, like had this big grand thing, and I. I really don't care for set pieces like that normally, like, where it's like, oh, there's a big event happening, and they get there, and it's like, welcome to the big event. Yeah. It's like, uh, it gets gets so gross. Welcome to the next stop on the plot. (laughs) Right, yeah, welcome to the start of Act (laughs) 2. It's like, okay, thanks, guys. Uh, Um, The race was really cool. Uh, I, I enjoyed that a lot kind of compared it almost to a war zone i think he has a line in there yeah um 
I, I did not write it down, but I'm pretty sure he's having PTSD flashbacks. Is he? Is that yeah. what is happening, or is he? I just think there's like, something. I or know is he, it like the war being on TV is I like think, bleeding into his regular life. I think it may have been so like because before that, if after he met uh, Lacerda, like his photographer, um, he's like, or yeah, before he meets him, he's listening to like the the broadcast, you know, and he's hiding behind the desk. Yeah. Uh, so, it, that was so funny. yeah, he was. So yeah, when he meets the photographer, he's literally like hiding behind the desk, yeah. like a little boy. Uh, and uh, like, so I think the flashbacks uh, are kind of from like that when he gets because yeah. the next scene right after is the race. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you know they're on like the little uh, like buggy and everything, trying to capture everything, <laughs> but it's just sand everywhere. Yeah, and he doesn't have a beer in his hand too. Yeah, it, it turns into goop. Yeah, it's so gross. Uh, I'd be pissed. You yeah. know that beer was like, well, ninety eight. It was probably like three dollars, but yeah. back hate, then that was crazy. Hate, um, you hate to see a good beer go to waste. You can never do that. I'll pour one out for him. No, I won't actually do that. I have carpet. Um. Uh, the visual in this movie is all. Yeah, we already talked about the visuals. I love this way this movie portrays being too high. Um, really well done. Uh, if you've ever been too high in public, you know exactly what this movie's talking about. <laughs> that anxiety. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of times people uh, will get high in the, the comfort of their home, uh, and they don't realize until they leave their home um, that they are not comfortable leaving their yeah. home. And uh, and I think it's like a rude awakening for a lot of people. Are you saying I'm not as fun uh, a functioning member of society while I'm high? No, I'm you know, <laughs> you know, it's just less so. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, it's it it's definitely got me before where I uh, am leaving the house and I am in driving the car to where I'm going and I'm like, huh. I don't know that I want other people to be looking at me right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. It kind of makes me wonder how Hunter S. Thompson survived at all as a public figure. I'm going to say, man, I, I don't think he gave a fuck about anything. No. Um, I feel like you can't with <laughs> Yeah, with the way that he, was... he operates. Of course not. I mean, I know, like, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s is all drugs, cocaine, everything, but, like, still. Yeah, it's it's... He was doing more than just cocaine. Yeah. I mean, one thing if he had a cocaine addiction, is it's Not, a whole other thing when you're addicted to mescaline, doing injertochrome. Psychedelics. Huffing ether. Like, yeah. how this man's heart kept beating past 50 is beyond me, to be honest with you. Yeah. Some sort of miracle. This man probably had fucking friends in the, like, the DMT realms. For sure. Like, he probably yeah. had friends, like, often in a different realm that he... Oh, like, yeah. That he uh, was, like, You'd hallucinating. you Just because he said he dropped LSD, like, every day. Yeah. So. It's a lot of LSD. Wild. Um, good CG for 98 and that yeah. one bar scene. Yeah. That was it, really cool. It looked, even, like, uh, when he's checking into the hotel. I think know? it... I think it also, I think it's just that they had that one scene, you know? That yeah. That one scene to focus on. Um, less is more. Yeah. Because it looked good. 
They used it effectively. They didn't use it too much, and it worked. So when they first get to Vegas and you see the strip, um, it it looked kind of weird to me. It almost looked like a little bit of CG itself, like what a modern day like scene would look like with CG, yeah. you know. I definitely don't think they uh, were on scene for any of the Las Vegas stuff. No. I definitely think all of that was either CG'd in or like bought footage. Yeah. But it looked really. I mean, they they got the they got the feeling very right with yeah. the whole vibe of Vegas. Going into Vegas a little bit as like the setting too. I think it kind of makes sense with some of the themes of this movie. I agree. Yeah, just like a lot of fakeness. <laughs> I yeah. guess for lack of a better term. I love the title of the movie in the book. Too. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, you can't really, like, say those words without thinking of this movie or anything. Uh, like, whenever you say loathing from now on, I'll think of this movie. Right. That's pretty interesting. I was thinking about that the other day whenever you... This is tangent, but, like, whenever you have movies, you, like... You say the movie's name, but you forget what the name of the movie has meaning. Like, yeah. You forget that the words have actual meaning. Like, No Country it's, for yeah. Old Men. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, uh, or like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of one. Like, Birdman and the, and the Unexpected mm-hmm. Virtues of Ignorance. Yeah. Like, stuff like that. You don't think about the words that you're saying, the Unexpected Virtues of Ignorance. You don't yeah. think, I mean, I, at least I don't. I don't think deeper into like those words when I'm watching a movie, and then you watch a movie and you're like, "Huh." That's why it's tough. See, that's going back to your point, like what I was thinking before. This, I'm like, that is an interesting title for a book or a movie. Like, why is it fear and why is it loathing? Why are we talking about those two in particular? Yeah, and it it being in Las Vegas. I mean, it's like it's very aptly titled. I mean, it's very like directly titled. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, it still works well as like a just like a theme thing it is the theme of the movie is the title yeah I don't like those movies that are like Marvin dies in the end you know I don't like movies like that that's kind of I do like Me and Earl and the Dying Girl yeah that's a really good movie have you ever seen that I've not but I've heard of it it's a good movie check that movie out if you haven't seen it I'm not gonna go into it we'll talk about it after but uh uh, Flight of the Valkyries, second time on the podcast, uh, came up in an Apocalypse Now. I mean, there had to be like a nod to it too, with all the Vietnam undertones. They had to be. Um, yeah. I was watching uh, Barry the other day, <laughs> and there's a scene in season one where a character is like, "Ah, oh, let's listen to Flight of the Valkyries." I got, and he pulls out like a cassette tape or something, yeah. and it's actually Flight of the Bumblebees. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I can talk about it. I guess I can talk about a little bit of Mineral and Dying Girl because uh, Apocalypse Now actually pertains to Mineral and the Dying Girl. The, in the in the movie, they uh, the two male characters are like filmmakers and they make like really really low budget rip off versions of like. Uh, classic films and like European films uh-huh. and one of the ones they do is Apocalypse Now but they call it a box lips wow <laughs> where he gets a box of tulips and he opens it and he goes oh wow and all these pretty <laughs> tulips and that's their their justification for it it's 
it's so dumb. I used to have a shirt of one of the movies from the movie, uh, from the Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, actually. Yeah. They remade a clockwork orange into a sockwork orange, which was the same thing, but it was with a sock puppet. Oh, my God. The same God. movie, but it was all sock puppet. It's kind of terrifying. That is insanely terrifying. Yeah. The... The scene yeah. in that movie, I don't even want to say the word, but the scene in that movie uh, that is just vividly uh, disgusting and violent. Um, with a sock. With a sock would be really, really interesting to watch, <laughs> to say the least. Um, moving on from that, because uh, too much tangent, um, I really enjoy that Gonzo's character no matter high or not, can find a way to reason with everybody. Yeah. That was really funny. He just got that gift of the gab. <laughs> yeah, gift of the gab. He's got Riz, yeah. uh, I think, as the kids would say. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> gift of the gab's the Gen X version of saying it. <laughs> right. Uh, it's so... It, I thought that was so funny. I thought that was a really nice touch of like having yeah. that for his character it's, because it, it, it would be yeah. so easy for his character to be, character to be bland and to yeah. just be supplemental but to have him actually have you know different yeah. it's almost like personality with, with, with like Gonzo's character whenever they're in public for the most part like you said he can reason with people he's like pretty like sufficient of himself but then the moment they get like just the two of them he is he's just off the hinges yeah and it's cause in public it's almost like Duke's character is like the one that needs help once it's just the two of them, it is <laughs> yeah. almost always Gonzo's yeah. off the deep end. Yeah, it's it's so funny. Um, I guess that's why he's like his attorney. Yeah. Like he, he'll show up in the. I guess Hunter S. Thompson gets like anxiety or something, like when talking to like people. Right. And like Gonzo's just able to, you know. Yeah. Stay cool. So I guess he takes those for him, and then, uh, and then he'll kind of like just mediate those like tense situations he's just good with people right and i guess hunter s thompson is just better with or I, sorry what is his name in the movie raul duke raul duke duke is just better with like um i don't even know like problem solving yeah yeah like he solves all the problems yeah, that come does. up in the movie but uh but gonzo is really the one that's like powering the yeah in front of everybody. Right. But, um... Yeah, I thought mm-hmm. it was really nice. Um... That little piece of the movie, him being able to have a way of reasoning. That's their chemistry, too. Between, yeah. between the two characters. I agree. Um, I, they, they're huffing ether. Um, yeah. I have a, a line from the movie here. It says, "Dogs fucked the Pope. No fault of mine." <laughs> I thought that was probably my favorite comedic line of the whole movie, and it's just so damn funny. It, and I don't even remember fully what the context is anymore, but uh, it, it's so funny to me. Uh, I remember laughing really hard at that line. Do you yeah. remember the context of the I, line was? I don't. So that was during the ether scene? Uh, yes, I think so. I think he was saying, like... Oh, you know, I think it was... They were watching the trapezist, and isn't there yeah. a dog that's part of the trapeze act, right? I, I think so. And then he's... I think that might be it. I don't remember. 
I don't even remember. But it, yeah, I thought uh, that line definitely popped out at me because I wrote it down. But yeah, uh, I, they were definitely high as fuck. It was right after they huffed ether, so. And that's when they um, were like, uh, you can kind of like, you know that you're acting this way. You just can't do anything about it. Yeah. Um. I also have. I thought the cartoon sound effects were a little too much. That was, yeah. That, that was that was too gimmicky. I thought that was. Way too far. Um, I don't know about way too far, but I just did. Yeah. I, th- I thought that made the movie a little weird. A little too goofy. Maybe. A, little, a little too goofy. Like the movie yeah. is goofy, like really goofy on its own by performance alone and directing, and like just the the whole movie itself is just goofy. But uh, that yeah. that was too goofy. That was childish. Goofy. Not to be confused with a goofy movie. <laughs> yeah, of course not. We would never. We've never confused the two. Um, yeah. Fair and Loathing in Las Vegas, but it's actually Goofy and his son. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, gosh. Well, this fucker's dead. Um, I, my, next line, my next little note says Vern Schroyer. Uh, he played Mini-Me. He was in the movie. Oh, was he the one? He wasn't the waiter, but he was the... Uh, the person who brought the phone up? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. No, no, no. Okay. He was the... Uh, I don't remember exactly, but he was somewhere in the movie. I remember seeing him, though. Right, right. I think he was either in the circus or the carousel scene. Where There, there were a few instances of, like... I don't know the term, but, like... Vertically yeah. challenged people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the correct term, but um, little, yeah, I think little people. Little people, yeah. There's, accepted. and I think I think Duke's character kind of like comments on that at some point yeah, during like, one of his what trips. The hell is going on here? Yeah, but that is something that like shows up multiple times. The carousel scene is just plain funny, honestly. It is. And the colors in that scene are really really nice. He just kicks him off at the end. I thought that was so funny. Yeah. I, like, who kicked me? <laughs> <laughs> the the committing committing to the time for that scene to work, it, it has to be like a long scene for it to actually yeah. work comedically. Because if you were just like yeah. fidgety to get off or whatever, it would just play as weird. Yeah. You know, but I think them committing to how long it took him to get off, like, I made it actually funny. Yeah. Going back to like. You gotta remember where this is taking place. It's Vegas. Like we we look at this and we're like, oh my god, imagine acting like this in public. But like, people working at that place are probably uh, this is just like every single day. <laughs> you have at least probably. one person that's like, yeah. Yeah, they're probably like, welcome. Especially welcome Vegas. Vegas in the '70s. <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, I have a cousin that works or works and lives in Vegas, and I mean, it's yeah. pretty pretty family oriented. Not yeah. family oriented, but it's pretty normal now. Yeah. Um. Obviously, bunch Com- of casinos still, but bunch of degenerate gamblers still. But yeah, for most of the year, it's it cleaned it up a bit. Yeah. March Madness, it's full of men, and then you know, random other times of the year, it's just like full of people for no reason, and then yeah, you know, most of the time, it's just a normal ass place. Yeah. But um. Yeah. You notice they pen from Penn and Teller in the movie? I, I saw that in the credits. Yeah. I don't remember seeing him. 
He was at one of the stands. Oh, actually, I do. He was one of the carnival workers, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, Was he the one where it's like, uh, project yourself over... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was him. Where yeah, was... project yourself over Vegas for uh, extra 50 cents yeah. at a voice message. Yeah, so that, I thought that was really cool. I thought the movie had a lot of, like, um, really nice touches of, like, disillusionment of, like, capitalism. Yeah. Just, like, pointing out, like, this is pretty dumb. That people would ever pay money for this. Yeah. That's how I feel when I walk around. Um, I work at a mail store. Uh, and people come in and ask to scan documents and send them to their emails, like every day. Um, and they do that while they have an iPhone. If you don't know this, you can scan documents yeah. straight off your iPhone. Uh, if you go into your notes app, it's very easy. Like it does it like almost for you. Or even um, even I have an Android. Just go to the App Store, look up Scanner. You'll yeah. find something that works completely fine. You can fax things yeah. from your phone. Exactly. If you scan them, you can fax them from your phone. You don't have to go to a store and fax them. Just PSA for anybody <laughs> who didn't know these things. You, you don't get, have to go to a mail store. Uh, to gotta get them. that off your chest. Yeah, like you you just don't. Uh, it is it is one two things you can do 100% digitally. Now, if you're digitally impaired, which is a stupid sentence, and I wish people who are over 40 would stop saying it, um, because you not knowing how to use a phone is not an excuse. That's just not an excuse. Yeah, yeah I don't care. I don't care. I, There's people your age that know how to use phones, so you're just admitting that you're dumb. I'm sorry. Just say that. Just be like, hey, I'm stupid. Can you can you do this thing for me? And I would rather do that, but not to tangent there. What were you going to say? Were you going to uh, say something? No. I don't. Mm. Okay. Well, I'll just move on. Just let you get on your soapbox yeah, real yeah. quick. Fuck people. <laughs> no. Uh, <sighs> I like the choice to always have a camera slightly out of off-center or slightly crooked. It's the distorted POV sells the movie. Yeah. It's, it's We've already kind of hammered this home, so yeah. I don't think we need to go further. But It kind of reminds me of... Do you know who Wong Kar Wai is? Or have you heard of him before? I don't think so. He's a Hong Kong director. Okay. He's one of my favorite directors. He uh, All his movies are kind of about like unrequited love and like just being in Hong Kong. Okay. There's one movie I've only seen clips from of his. Um, it is... Why is my blanking on the name now? Something like Angels, I think. Mm. And it's, oh, it's kind of like this where every like every single frame is like it's not like a regular movie like static like everything's okay. in frame. I hear you. It, and it's almost all fisheye too. Oh. And it's like that, the whole movie is like that. Like in his other movies, he might use that a few times, but in this movie, that's all it is. And I think it's supposed to add like the franticness of it because it's right. about like hitmen. Okay, so like yeah. kind of like um. What's that movie? There's a movie that's like super fisheye. It's got Jason Statham. I think it's called Speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he's taking speed. Yeah. <laughs> he has to keep taking speed to stay alive. I think. Um, and yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's it's recorded in that like super like realism. Right, right. But yeah. That's yeah, that's cool. cool. That's some really cool. Um, this is the most random movie for a Cameron Diaz cameo. Yeah. Didn't really. I, yeah, she must have been like famous around then. Yeah, I think she. She's like what? Yeah, a, I mean, two years before Shrek. Yeah, 
her big break. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, I guess, I guess maybe she wasn't famous because she didn't have a lot of lines. It's kind of yeah. just like, a, oh, she's blonde. It's like the movie treated her like, oh, she's blonde, she's hot. Yeah. I knew her as Cameron Diaz though, so it's That's, like that was her only. Role. I think that may have been historical revisionism on my part. But maybe, maybe she wasn't. She didn't have her big break yet. Who knows? I don't know. I'd have to look that. I'd really have to look into it. I really wouldn't know. Um, my next note just says this movie is such goofy fun. I, th- yeah. <laughs> Agree. Yeah. I, a good note, Hunter. Uh, feels like nothing matters, and then all of a sudden you just find like randomly profound meaning in the middle of nowhere. You could take like thirty random quotes that like Duke yeah. says in this, and put it on like an inspirational yeah. like poster and yeah or like not inspirational but like a poster yeah I thought it was really funny it kind of like mirrors life <laughs> yeah you just kind of go through like crazy dumb bullshit yeah and, like, it most de- of it and then like random points in time you're like huh it definitely sounds like it's coming from a writer <laughs> definitely like yeah, yeah who to say like nothing this is everything <laughs> I sit around and pontificate at length, and it's like, okay, yeah. time for you to shut up. <laughs> uh, the trip in the bathtub was crazy. Yeah. Um, I feel like the synopsis did a good job of explaining how that went. I thought he was actually going to drop the toaster for a second. Though. Yeah, it definitely looked like it was about to go very wrong. Yeah. He just wanted to listen to Jefferson Airplane. <laughs> Yeah. Speaking of music, uh, the score was really nice. It I was. The score, I thought the score was done really well. I thought it was done really smart, too. And again, with the score, less is more yeah. in most cases. They used it in the right places. They didn't overuse it. It was silent in the spots that it needed to be to build tension and awkwardness. And then in the times where they were trying to build, like, you know, a horror film sense of, like, scaredness with, like, drug trips and, you know, uh, stuff like that that that's when they really used and relied on the the other stuff and i thought that was really just well done because it, it could have very easily just been sloppily done this movie really it wouldn't work if any of these aspects was not <laughs> the movie really wouldn't work if any of these aspects like camera movement uh score performance wasn't up to the part it is it would be a lot harder to watch I agree it's yeah because it's not a movie you're going to sell to necessarily mainstream audiences even if it's from like a very critically acclaimed book like it's just not that kind of movie it needs everything to work for the people that are going to watch it I think it may be 20 years before it's time you you have this movie come out now I think it's oh yeah you could put the A24 label on it a movie like Cocaine Bear is getting like commercial success I mean I, I I yeah, I think you can sell. Because yeah. it's another thing, too, is, like, the anti-cop, anti-military, yeah. pro-drug sentiment has only grown from right. from here. It's only even further. And I think that's why this movie only gains notoriety as time goes along. Because yeah. it's one of the first movies yeah. like Drainspotting. Yeah. And you it kind of had, like, a fuck it type yeah. of mentality towards taking drugs and stuff. And you want to talk about 20 years ahead of its time. The book was 72? 72, yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Hunter Thompson, I mean, again, watch one video of that guy and you know what a free spirit looks like. Every, everything in the movie will make sense once you see yeah. that. 
Also, did you notice the cop was played by Gary Busey? Yes, that was one of my notes. <laughs> Him as the cop is the funniest fucking thing. Yeah. Uh, talk about a drug user. Um, I thought that megaphone in that one scene was such an odd way to add to that scene. Right. But yeah. it but it worked. Yeah, it did. It, it worked really really well. Um. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't even know why. I don't. I, I can't even tell you why it worked, but it, yeah. it worked really well. Um. <laughs> I like that little tangent about that guy who's always gonna be like traumatized. Oh, by the walking around by the, the door and yeah. seeing someone that getting was LSD really and funny. Off their they, arm. I didn't think they were gonna stay oh, stay with it as long. I thought God. it was just gonna be like, oh, he walks and walks out. No, that was like a Family Guy cutaway. Yeah, that was so the, funny. The hippie that like is like he licking that too. Yeah. licking the acid off of him. He looked like a. What's his name? Ch- Cheddar Bob from Eight Mile. <laughs> That's what he looked like. Him, it, it but with like, long hair. Yeah, it was him mixed with like Jonah Friedlander. What's his <laughs> name? Yeah, Judah Judah Friedlander. Friedlander. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was it was so funny. It was the best mashup ever. Yeah, that was probably my favorite joke sequence in the movie. It was the funniest thing ever. Not ever. Uh, that's exactly. Is it like a fun? That's like verbally, guys. Yeah. But yeah, it was really funny. He was that like a rave or something, like a flashback? Yeah, I thought that was really funny. I had the whole 1965 flashback was really fun. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Um, we got another break coming up, so we're gonna take another break. Uh, we're not quite done with our thoughts because there's a lot of thoughts to be had here. Uh, interesting, interesting little movie. Uh, so stick with us again. We're going to be right back. We're going to do our the rest of our thoughts. I'm going to run through my list of themes. Uh, we'll talk about it for a second. And then we'll do the list, and we'll see where this movie ranks with the rest of the films on our list that we've watched already. So stick with that. Cool. Boom. Welcome back for the last time to finding new films. We're going to finish up our thoughts real quick. Um, go Brooklyn. Uh, on the last episode, you will have noticed that we were watching the Nets play, and that's because we filmed the episode that comes out uh, last week, as you're watching this, last week. We filmed that three days ago. <laughs> so... We're watching now just the next game, um, so game three, and there's four people on the ground right now. Anyway, Brooklyn's up by three, so... Claxton started a fight earlier. Yeah, with Embiid, <laughs> that was fun. Uh, anything we can do to get... Oh, that's all ball. Wait, so what's the call? Anyway, we'll get into <laughs> that later. Um, <clears throat> anyways... Uh, the dude that gets traumatized yeah no we talked about that uh, he speaks beautifully of hippie culture and how it almost spread to Las Vegas and then it just gets cut short yeah I thought that was really cool that was back in the uh, like the 65 like right uh, I thought that monologue was really nice it was it's it's almost like a sense of longing for going back to that and yeah. like it almost speaks to like I mean going into the themes a bit like yeah. it didn't really do anything to hippie culture like the yeah. counterculture movement and like it kind of yeah. just went away 
fart in the wind. <laughs> I mean, uh, look at nowadays, the hippies are like Karens now. <laughs> yeah, it's, being a hippie is mainstream at this point. Yeah. You know? Um, so many just big, massive stores are like, tie-dye, here you yeah. go. And it's like, okay, well, that's not really what this was about, but yeah. alrighty. We'll just chill out, I guess. Um, but yeah, it, it's almost like the true meaning of nostalgia, too. If not, like, we know nostalgia now is more of, like, pop culture, just going back and, like, ripping old property for, like, their IPs and stuff and then turning those into new films and stuff like that. Like, oh, Blade Runner's not been anything yeah. for a while? I mean, even though the 2049 was a good movie, right. you know, it's not like a... a a thing where, you know, nobody, maybe, yeah. I don't want to say nobody, but I don't know that anybody was sitting there like, man, we need another Blade Runner. Right. And it just kind of came out of nowhere. They were like, yeah, we'll get a really great director and we'll make another Blade Runner movie. And that's kind of like South Park has the, the member berries season where mm -hmm. they talk about like, you know, member Star Wars and, you know, talking about how derivative the the sequels trilogy was for Disney and like I just feel like um, with this movie I, I feel like it, it gets away from that type of nostalgia mm -hmm. it gets towards the real like definition of nostalgia which is like looking back on a moment and actually longing for it because that is like when you look at the root of the word like where it comes from it's like a, a Nordic um, yeah. expression, nostalgia, or not, nost, nosta, I think is like the prefix, but it means like, you know, to long or to look back in fondness, but in like a, a more sad fondness, not yeah. in like a, like, I remember yeah. Star Wars. No, it's, it's yeah, but it's, like, but more of that longing you know, yeah. like you were talking about. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I just... I don't know why I needed to explain all of that just to get that across, but yeah, I agree with you on that. <laughs> um, the Z card into his forehead was pretty gnarly. Yeah, it was, um, I, yeah, he kind of just woke up. First he's like, you better not do it, you better not do it. Wakes up, doesn't even notice. Not Never really acknowledged. Oh my god, I would kill somebody if if they carved a Z into my yeah. forehead. And then he's like, three hours later, he's like, oh, hey, man, what's up? Yeah. Uh, you know. Very famous time it took place of people having stuff carved in their heads because that yeah. was like the same year that Manson got arrested. <laughs> it was 72, I think. Yeah, didn't he, when he carved a swastika? Yeah. yeah. Asshole. Uh, I loved his line when he was talking to the cop because he thought he was like, he thought he was a goner and he was like, well... Plenty of fine books have been written in prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, huh? He goes, what do you want? <laughs> I loved him dropping that line, just yeah. like admitting defeat. Yeah. And I loved him admitting defeat to Gary Busey's cop character. Yeah. Cop him just being like, him. are you, are you weird as, you're weird as fuck. Yeah. And I knew when he was like, can I ask you something? Yeah. In my head, I literally was like, can I kiss you? I, I, I I'm not even joking you. I, <laughs> I, I. I I have no reason to lie about this because this is a stupid thing to lie about. I, I legitimately in my head was like, can I kiss you? And then he goes, can I have a kiss? I'm lonely <laughs> out here. That, 
Uh, that popped me really good. I, I laughed really hard at that, honestly. It was like, I fucking called it. The cop scene was great. Yeah, he did seem like a cool guy. He just wanted, he just wanted a little bit of tender love and happiness. Yeah. Imagine having to do highway patrol on that fucking road. Oh my god. I haven't seen his soul for miles. Yeah. Reminds me of a Daniel Tosh joke where he was like, uh, imagine living in Canada. Yeah. It snowed in for nine months out of the year. You gotta kill your wife just to see some <laughs> color. Get some reds in there. Jeez. Yeah. And then the one person you see is just Toby Maguire with his thumb up. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, that that uh, that lollipop dropped in a this... in a. Uh, on the floor on with a, a bunch a of floor loose of a bathroom. hair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's so disgusting. I love you, Toby, but yeah, my that, goodness gracious, they they really they did, did a number. great job. Yeah. They did a great job selling that one. I thought he was a character from like Pan's Labyrinth. <laughs> yeah, it's like, bro, is this Guillermo del Toro? <laughs> um, that three point turn when they saw Toby Maguire's character was fucking hilarious. Yeah, that was. Uh, that like that janky ass one, and then the car stops. He's turning into like Baxter or whatever. Yeah. Between LA, he's like, I gotta go to this town. Yeah. Sees him. We're he's going back. Absolute 180. <laughs> and then he does it to Lucy as yeah. well. That, that one is even funnier, I think. And then with, um, with uh, Toby, that's when his car stalls out, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, fuck, go, go, that's go, when he, That's go. when he has to call Gonzo. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Toby was about to crawl, no, crawl up there like Spider-Man. I did too, I thought. Because he was looking around all everything, and I thought he was about to pop up. He always has that dumb smile on his face. Have you seen Barbarian? Yeah. It's like in Barbarian. Yeah. He's like, they ain't never gonna get me. It just busts right yeah. through and murder. Yeah, um... The, yeah, I, I thought it was really funny to see Jeff, uh, Depp really animated, because uh, this is before, like, any Pirates of the Caribbean yeah. and stuff, so it was really funny to see him, like, really animated like this. We talked about, like, the physical stuff earlier, but... That was just a really goofy performance that yeah, he gave. It's, it was it, fun. It looked really fun. Yeah. It looked fun to be in that performance. Especially after, like, I'm trying to think of other Johnny Depp movies I've seen. Like, Edward Scissorhands probably wasn't that far apart from this. Yeah. Like, like he gets to have like fun with the role. I'm sure it's Tim Burton yeah. movie, but like he's very like rigid because that's just how his character is, right. you know. Yeah. I'm sure it, it it looked like it was a again going back to like I don't know if they're actually friends or not. But, like yeah. it looked like it was a lot of fun to film between him and Benicio. Yeah, and definitely like they were like bouncing off each other for sure. Yeah. Um. Chris Maloney popped up. Uh, if you watched, I think you. Fuck, I don't. I think he's on CSI. Uh, he's really good. I know him from um, Wet Hot American Summer. Was he um, the uh, the he clerk? He was the cook in Wet Hot American Summer, but I I don't. Who did he yeah, play? Yeah, he was the he was. Oh, sorry. In this movie, he was yeah. the hotel guy. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Hotel clerk. Yeah. At the D when the DA convention. I thought that whole customer service scene was hilarious. That was really funny. Uh, that is. Uh, to a T, how customer service feels when you have someone who's nice and understanding versus someone who uh, is just absolutely volatile from yeah. the second they start speaking to you. I like this scene where he's like, what this guy would have actually liked to say. Yeah. Yeah, fuck you, you piece of shit. Yeah, that was another one of those, like, out-of-the-body, like, family guy-esque yeah. type of cut. Like, almost airplane-esque type of cuts. Or it's just like, we're just going to tell an abstract joke right now. It's yeah. Like, okay, cool. 
Here's a setup. Here's a punchline. Here's yeah. some filler. Despite yeah. like the heavy tones of the movie, like it's not afraid to have fun. Right. I thought Lucy's character was super weird. I, I hated yeah. it from the second it started. Yeah. I hated it throughout the whole rest of the movie. Especially whatever like implications were going on yeah. with that. It was <laughs> it was uncomfortable. Well, well, it's the implication. Yeah. Yeah. Dennis Reynolds himself. <laughs> uh, the hallway scene where they're talking about like, uh, like, uh, Raul's characters like suggesting basically that they whore out Lucy and they could make like a shit ton of money by trafficking her as a human being. Yeah. That made me feel icky. Yeah. Like, I I legit was like, oh. Yeah. And even with, like, Gonzo's character kind of pushing back, he really wasn't. No. Well, because then he calls him out. Yeah. He's like, well, you just fucked her in every hole she has. Yeah. So, like, well, how are you any different? Yeah. Like, what are you different? How are you better than anyone who would pay money to do that? Yeah. And how are you do- How are you better than, like... He basically was like, oh, if you fucked her, how are you not, like... What, you won't human traffic her? Yeah. <laughs> Basically. And it was like, uh, well, I don't know if that's... I don't yeah. know if that's... But it, that, that was an uncomfortable... Everything with Lucy was uncomfortable. Everything. And then the waitress, too. Everything with that was super yeah. weird. And, and then later on, going back to, like, the more abstract things, like, when he's imagining them at, the at like, the trial with the yeah. judge. Yeah. With Lucy. Yeah. Super weird stuff. Super, super weird stuff. Don't know why they needed that in the movie. I feel like the movie could have yeah. left that stuff out, but I I don't know. Maybe. So I read a little bit about like some of the differences between the book yeah. and the movie. Apparently, the book goes into even more detail on that. Oh, I'm sure. So it's almost like they were trying to. I don't know. I it, it I would have rather not seen that. I have not read this book, um, but I have read the book. Uh, it's a book. It's a collection of poems by a writer named Charles Bukowski, who's also part of like the same artistic movement and hung mm-hmm. out with a lot of the same people. Is Hunter S. Thompson? Um, he was like a older man. He was older than Hunter S. Thompson, but he like lived in L. A. This is like poems from like seventy four five that he's writing, uh, just about the dissociation of love uh, with fame, with dissociation of love working in the industry and stuff like that. And um, he does such a good job of, like, just really painting, like, how, like, lifeless Los Angeles feels, like, in the love scene and everything like that. But more than that, how absolutely demented, uh, like, male desire becomes uh, when, when old men are lonely and have no families and stuff like that. Yeah. It's really gross. Like, yeah. some of those poems I have to just stop like I I have to stop reading it because yeah. it's just like disturbing at a certain point um but other than that <laughs> no that but, was definitely like the one of the darker parts of the movie the darkest yeah. or maybe I don't know maybe the waitress scene is darker but I don't want to talk about the waitress scene later on, so we'll just group those two things together. Those were weird things. Yeah. I did not like them, personally. It was, it was, it was a tough watch. Yeah. Adrenochrome scenes were funny. Um, yeah, Benicia turns into the devil himself. 
Yeah, fucking sound that uh, Johnny Depp was making was hilarious. The yeah. Oh, that was shit was hilarious. Um, the hotel, after he took the adrenochrome, started looking like an abstract art piece. Yeah. Like with all the stacked TVs and stuff like that. Thought the set design was really cool. Um, how does his heart not explode? Uh, I have Satan. I have the Nixon pass out was trippy as hell. Uh, he has a tail now. <laughs> che Guevara. Uh, and then I like the cigarette holder hanging out his mouth the whole time. The thing never leaves his mouth the entire movie. Yeah. It, I thought it was just a good touch. It's just a really good touch. Same thing with his uh, his tinted glasses. And his bucket hat. Yeah. Um, I, It kind of pops off sometimes. Yeah, we see his uh, bald spot. Yeah. There's another weird moment that we could uh, put in with all of the uh, misogyny. Uh, was them terrorizing the maid. Uh, yeah. Really fucking her up for no reason. Um, she doesn't even speak English either. That's the really fucked up part. So she's just yeah. like completely confused with what's going on. Promise her money. Yeah. Which she's definitely not getting. Yeah. She's really odd shit. Yeah. Um, the recollections of the previous night were really funny. I thought all the scenes were, other than the maid scene, all, all their scenes with that were pretty cool. Yeah, the monkey. Yeah, I thought uh, they were really funny. I like that it was him, like, just going back on his tape recorder and remembering. Yeah, it, it, yeah I loved that all he had to do was listen to the tape, and then like, all of a sudden he just got this flood of memories coming back. Yeah. I gotta start recording shit when I start getting blackout. Um... Yeah, I just, again, emphasizing, you know, really disgusting misogyny at the end of this movie. It's kind of just, you know, yeah. and not that, needed and not really necessary, but is still in the movie for some reason. But, yeah, toxic yeah. misogyny, masculinity of the 50s, 60s, 70s era. Yeah. Americana, like the it's whole... pretty gross. Yeah. Hard to watch at a lot of points in the movie, but, you know, um... I think it's to prove a point for who these people are. They're not good people. Mm-hmm. Um, right at the end here, Diner seems hard to watch. I like the quote where he says, too odd to live, too rare to die. Yeah. And then I just thought they, in, as a, and in, him as a lead character was just super intriguing in general. Yeah. Know? Just like, really cool. It almost felt like a day in the life kind of story. For sure, yeah. even though it was, like, stretched over a course of, like, many days, yeah. many days, almost weeks, I think. Yeah. But yeah. It's time for... Oh, I gotta read the themes on here real quick. I'm just gonna sprint through these, because we've been here for a good minute. Um, my themes that I noticed and wrote down, I just have paranoia, <laughs> being high, um, honky... Uh, just the word, mm-hmm. and then uh, capitalism, the effect on the individual, chaos and order, convention and rebellion, darkness and light, facing darkness, uh, desire to escape, uh, fate and free will, identity crisis, isolation and its hazards, uh, nationalism and its complications, uh, the oppression of women, optimism, power of folly, power of addiction, War, uh, the glory, necessity, pain, tragedy of it, 
uh, and then wisdom of experience. And I think for me the biggest themes were both kind of like going back to the fakeness of Vegas, but also like not necessarily the fakeness of the counterculture movement of the 60s, but yeah. like it kind of just like he's reminiscing about it, but then he's also looking now and it's like this didn't do anything. Yeah. They said no long-lasting effects, really. Right, just and then, observing superficiality. Yeah, and then the other one is just kind of like going back to destroying the myth of the American dream. Yeah, you know, um, he's. It's just the whole like they say that the, the, near the very beginning we're on our way to look for the American dream. They repeat that a few times, you know. Yeah, and it's just it's not there. And then kind of just like breaking through that myth of like you know, the Americana. Like, 50s, 60s America is so great. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that is a super big point of the movie. Yeah. But yeah, I, yeah. That's all I really got. Mm-hmm. Movies definitely love child of Vietnam. <laughs> Whether it wants to be or not. Yeah. It didn't seem like it wanted to be for a lot of the time, and then it just kind of... Throws just it ex- in there. Yeah, it's just like, it, it finally accepted it. And it's like, actually, yeah, no, we are going to go full anti-war in this but I guess I'll go ahead and give my rating since this was my movie I guess movie uh, you can give it like in a tenth I gave it a 7.8 very fair rating I'd probably give it yeah about like an 8 8.5 kind of range gotcha I'll put you down for 8 this movie gets 15.8 smacks itself uh, right into the, what is it, seventh spot? Yep. No, eighth. Eighth. Between Psycho and Mahala Drive. So basically smack dab in the middle. Which is pretty fair, honestly. Yeah. Um. I think this is a kind of movie that maybe on a rewatch I could possibly go higher once I've noticed some more things. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, that's basically it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really all we're here to do. Um, I'm liking these collection of movies you have on here already. Appreciate it. I'm trying to, I'm trying to do good movies first, and then we can get silly and start doing some movies that are potentially bad, but aren't really bad. I mean, this movie has a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes if yeah. you go and look at like critics average yeah. a lot of people dislike this movie and you know yeah. it is just an aggregate score so it's taking you know like we were saying it's kind of ahead of its time like yeah. I can definitely see how this didn't play well in the 90s but like if you release it now it could definitely have a much wider I think this range. movie is going to have the same type of effect that Bo's Bo Afraid is going to have I think Bo's Afraid is going to be like 10 years ahead of its yeah. time yeah I just think it's going to be one of those movies where it's like, why is this, this movie sucks. And mm-hmm. then it's going to become popular after time. Yeah. And then you're going to be like a loser if you think Bo's Afraid sucks. Yeah. Or you're going to be like a mainstream show yeah. type of guy is what you're going to get called. It's going to be hip to like the movie. Right. It's like the other day I saw like they did a reread of like Jennifer's Body and it's like, fuck <laughs> like Jennifer's Body when it came out. Yeah. I did have an ex that had a Jennifer's body tattoo, so I guess the joke's on me. <laughs> but yeah, um, this has been Finding New Films. We uh, This week we found um, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, happily so. 
I'm glad to have seen the movie now. I can know know what everyone's talking about when they reference it and everything. Um, and then we will be back next week. Uh, we'll be finding 65. <laughs> I, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna be totally honest with you guys. I don't know how jazzed I am to be finding this. Film. <laughs> uh, talk about low scoring on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm going to not watch the trailer. I've seen too many of them on TNT uh, watching basketball. Uh, you know, just way too much of that trailer. Oh, hit that. Damn. Uh, but anyway, uh, so 65 will be next week. Um, As of today, Adam Driver looks like he might be Mr. Fantastic coming up. No, really? I didn't yeah, know Yeah, he apparently is in talks to become the oh, Mr. Fantastic shit. in the MCU. That's insane. Uh, Jonathan Major's on his way out, though. Uh, Big way. Yeah, yeah, humongous way. He's going out swinging, if you will. Uh, sorry. Um, but he... Uh, just like Creed three, But, um... But, uh, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so 65 next week, and then... Ooh, so... Yeah, and then after that, so we'll have 65 next week. week after that will be Chaplin, and then episode 20 will be The Godfather. Um, so, yeah. Got a big few weeks coming up. Um, so, yeah, just stick with us with, with all of that stuff. It's going to be a pretty long episode. So I hope you guys can stick through all the way to the end. If you did appreciate it thank you to anyone who listened on audio thank you to anyone who watched this visually uh, we appreciate anybody who watches i still think the people who look at this on video are weird but <laughs> appreciate it nonetheless um go follow us on instagram uh finding new films on instagram q crew on instagram me chris anybody go follow anybody on instagram uh, the links for the audio versions will also be down low, so just look for that. And I am a man of my word. So, we are going to read the daily schedule of Hunter S. Thompson. Be prepared. Um, this is quite literally insane, so uh, please be prepared for this. Here it goes. This is how Hunter S. Thompson lives his have lived his life until his eventual death. Uh, note that it begins at 3 p.m. <clears throat> so we have 3 p.m. Rise. 3:05 Shiva's Regal with morning papers, Donalds. Uh, 3:45 Cocaine. 3:50 Another glass of Shiva's, Donald. 4:05 First cup of coffee, Donald. 4:15 Cocaine. Uh, 4:16 Orange juice, Donald. 4:30 Cocaine. 4:54 Cocaine. 5:05 Cocaine. 5.11, coffee, Dunnels, 5.30, more ice in the Shivas, 5.45, cocaine, etc., etc. 6 o'clock, grass to take the edge off the day. Mind you, he's been awake for three hours. Uh, 7.05, Woody Creek Tavern for lunch, Heineken, two margaritas, coleslaw, a taco salad, a double order of fried onion rings, carrot cake, ice cream, a bean fritter, Dunnels, another Heineken, cocaine, and for the ride home, a snow cone. Uh, which is just the shredded ice, uh, which is poured over three or four jiggers of Chivas. Um, nine o'clock, start, start snorting cocaine seriously. Mind you, he's snorted about six or seven times now. 
Uh, 10, drops acid. 11, chartreuse, cocaine, grass. 11.30, cocaine, etc., etc. Midnight, Hunter S. Thompson is ready to write. <laughs> 12 to 6 a.m., uh, 12.05 a.m. to 6 a.m., uh, chartreuse, cocaine, grass, Shiva's coffee, Heineken, clove, cigarettes, grapefruit, Donald's, orange juice, gin, continuous pornographic movies. 6 uh, p.m., the hot tub, champagne, Dove bars, uh, and fettuccine Alfredo. 8 o'clock, Halcyon, and then 8.20, he is asleep. Um, so, in honor uh, to Hunter S. Thompson, Hunter Harris is drinking Heineken for these episodes. Um, so, rest in peace, Mr. Hunter S. Thompson. Thank you for your writing. Thank you for, uh, you know, this beautiful piece of art that was eventually made into another beautiful piece of art. And, um, yeah, thank you all. Have a good weekend. Bye, guys.